the first step is honestly preparation, but preparation, you know, that's a daunting word too, mm -hmm. is to find what you love. Because right. as they say, if you're doing something you love, then it, you'll never work another day in your life. So it has to be something you love. Now that doesn't mean a product necessarily, but it has to be something that resonates with you. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. On today's show, I am just so inspired by my incredible guest, Megan DiMartino. She is a New York girl who is deep in the heart of Texas. She lives in Austin, which I'm just, I've been picking her brain when we were getting to know each other because if you all know, my son moved to Austin a couple of weeks ago. So I wanted to know what it was like and being able to hook him up. But Megan has an incredible background. We're gonna dive into that in this interview today where she has started, scaled, sustained and sold two seven figure businesses in the skincare and spa industry, which I think is just incredible to do. That's not an easy task. There's tons of competition. She has an incredible book that was released in January 2020, bestseller on Amazon. And her purpose is to help grow teams and help businesses reach their purpose and their passion. So Megan, welcome. And thank you so much for being here. It is truly my pleasure, Emmy, to be with you. Another East Coast girl. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I've lived kind of up and down the East Coast, only hopped into Texas, I think twice in Dallas. So Austin is my bucket list of places to go. My son's loving it. So thank you for all your pointers. And I'm curious, what is the weather like today? Is it's definitely fallish here in Philly? You know, that is the season I miss the most is the mm -hmm. fall because it goes from, I, I don't even want to say summer, just hot to mm -hmm. kind of not as hot, but warm, then coolish. And even in the coolish, you might get days that are, you know, more like your spring days, you know, right. in weather. But the attractive thing of the weather is we never have to shovel a driveway or deal with ice and things of that nature. And so with that, it has been, you know, I've been here a long time, you know, deep in the heart of Texas, because in another, I think three or four years, mm -hmm. I will be, have lived here as long as I lived in, you know, the New York area. Wow. Uh, yeah. In another few years. So, you know, I, would say I've gotten used to this, you know, but I do travel fair amount. I was in uh, the North Carolina beach last week with a very dear friend. Oh, and, awesome. and I, you know, back in the day I traveled before our change of uh, unprecedented time, I did a fair amount of travel right, with right. business. So, you know, with that, you always get out and around. Mm -hmm. And I do try to schedule a trip in the fall to the East coast because I truly love the fall. Yeah. The the change in the, like the color of the leaves is incredible. Yeah. I do love that, but the whole snow thing I can do without. So maybe I'll come visit in January. That's the time yeah. you should come and visit. Right. I always say to people from November through really the end of June. Mm -hmm. So think about that from November through the end of June, it's lovely here. You know, okay. it just, it's just, I mean, I'm not saying it never, it gets chilly, like in the 30s, but but that the next day will be 55. Yeah. So it's just a very nice period of time. So I look forward to this time 
but if we could have a little change of color, that mm -hmm. would be very special. The fall rainbow, rainbow. Anyways, mm -hmm. let's dive in too, because I want to hear all about your background and how you got started in the beauty care industry. And I'm particularly fascinated because one of my clients has a med spa right now, and she's mixed that with Reiki, which makes her stand out. But what you've done and what you've accomplished is truly, truly incredible. Well, thank you, Emmy. Well, I come from a long line of creative, I'm going to use the term beauty pioneers. Okay. My grandfather, DiMartino Alberto, was an Italian immigrant, and he came actually at 16 to the uh, USA, to New York, and he came with another family. So he was a true pioneer. He wow. had a twin. Yeah, he had a twin, and his mom couldn't handle both from a nursing position. So he was wet nursed by this other family and he got very close with them and they came to America and he came with them. Wow. In New York city. Yeah. Very. I mean that just that piece itself, if you, you know, from a DNA position, uh, they were living in the uh, city and obviously not in the uptown area, but he got a job as a young man at a hotel that is where Madison Square Garden is currently. Mm -hmm. And so according to story, it was a very lovely upscale hotel. And he was a tin cup boy, and which means he was in training. Okay. So he wasn't a barber, but he was a barber in training. So he'd do the, you know, the shave creams and all prepare the back end for right. the barber. But he loved all of it. And he actually enjoyed uh, and was very creative and did the Ziegfeld girls hair, you know, the bobs, the precision. So one day, or he, well, one day he developed a relationship with a gentleman that was very wealthy and lived in Freeport, Long Island, which is really, if with no traffic, probably would take about an hour max out of the city. And Freeport is a very interesting little town. It's right on the docks where the fishing boats go out to the ocean and it was on the train line, let's just say that. Right. So this man would take the train into the city, go to my grandfather, this is, you know, when he became a barber. And so he, they developed a relationship. And this man actually set my grandfather up in business on Railroad Avenue in Freeport. And, right. and so my father, obviously, my grandmother and the two other sons came to Freeport, Long Island. And so my dad grew up in Freeport and he and his brothers worked in the barber shop to mm -hmm. help their dad. And grandpa over time evolved that barber shop when straight razor and that type of work became less, you know, more and more men did not do that. And so he evolved it to a salon. Oh, cool. And so my dad observed his father doing perming and styling and nail services. It was like a full service salon. So after the war, my father went to Manhattan College and then went into the service. Mm -hmm. And after the war, he got a job working for a large paper company mm -hmm. selling many products ostensibly to hospitals. Okay. And one of the products was wet strength tissue and it was for underbedding. Oh, okay. My father, very creative, observing his dad, said, I bet this would work for perming. Right. Because by this point, in this would have been in the 50s, the salon started using a product called mesh, which was a non-woven material, but it was very unsanitary because they would rinse it out and reuse it. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when my grandfather did perming, he would use strips of cloth and wraps, so to speak. So my dad said, I bet this would work for perming and cut this tissue up, Emmy, brought it to salons in New York City, primarily, which was his territory, said, right. try this. And they said, wow. And they started using this tissue and it was one-tenth the cost. It was disposable, so very sanitary. And so us children, my beauty career literally started packing end wraps in our basement in Freeport, <laughs> Long Island. What I love is the innovation. Yes. Truly. It's multi-generational. Very much so. We, as children, my father was a very, not only fun, but he was a very, like you said, creative. And so he tied that creativity with activities for us kids. And mm -hmm. I was one of four. And so there were a lot of kids, a lot of neighborhood things. So 
we were very involved in, in the, all of that. So New York City became part of my DNA creativity because my father, as I said, his territory at that time was the city. Right. Uh, he loved Manhattan. And so we would go into the city all the time. My mom, my dad, my siblings, and we would just traipse all over the place from, you know, lower Manhattan to upper Manhattan. He wasn't a wealthy guy, but, you know, we would eat in a nice restaurant or maybe go to a matinee. So it was, it was a very unique, wonderful childhood growing up. I also was the prodigy, I guess you'd say, of my mom, who was a wonderful seamstress. And if it was, if it was a different time, I think she probably would have been a designer. Mm -hmm. But she and I played off each other. And if I had a prom dress to do or purchase, we would never purchase, but we'd go to the pattern store and I'd say, oh, I like that sleeve. I like that back. I'd like that, that bodice and so forth. And she would get all those patterns and tie them together and we would create together. Oh, have fun. Yes. And so I thought I was going to be a clothing designer. I went to college for fashion merchandising. And the time we are right now reminds me a lot of 1968 when I went to college in Washington, D.C. Okay. And it, you know, the cool thing to do at that time was to march. Mm -hmm. Did I know why? I mean, yes, the Vietnam War, but it was just, let's go into DuPont Circle. Let's go, you know, type of thing. And so it was a very unsettling time for me, meaning that I was very uncomfortable with all that. I really, that was not my foundation purpose, so to speak. I wasn't sure, didn't even know what that was. Right, right. I wanted to have a college experience and become a fashion designer, as I thought. Well, in the field I worked in, or was going to school rather, I had to work in the field. So I got a job in Lord & Taylor in Manhattan in a buyer's training program. And so now this would have been 69 going into 70. Mm -hmm. And I uh, worked for a department called Country Clothes, which was, and believe it or not, women didn't wear sports clothes in those days. Right. They did not. They wore dresses, yeah. house dresses and the like. And yeah. so this was the beginning of really designer sportswear. Coach Bonnie Cashin, who was the original designer of Coach, we carried coach Lily Pulitzer, Aquascutum raincoats, you know, just high-end designer type of sportswear. And the buyer, a Mrs. Peppard, took a fancy to me and said, I never shared that I didn't want to go back to DC. I just was so enthralled with what I was doing. And she said, why don't you stay with me and go to FIT at night and which is Fast Institute of Technology. And, you know, you don't need to go back there type thing. And so I didn't. And I stayed with Mrs. Peppard for several years and then she retired. And I went, then went to Bloomingdale's and worked in the buying office of cosmetics. Now, during this season, I got married and okay. I was commuting to Westchester County initially from and to Bloomingdale's. And then we bought a home in Ridgefield, Connecticut, which oh, wow. is about, I don't know, maybe an hour and a hour, let's say, from okay. Stanford, Connecticut, where our Bloomingdale's branch was. And at that time, they were bringing in a line to Bloomingdale's from London called Biba. And Biba was a real person. She was actually, the, the line itself was featured in Freddie, Freddie Mercury's movie, Queen, a couple right. of years ago. Right. And Mary was his girlfriend and then subsequent wife for a while. But she, there was a scene where he was in Biba. So uh -huh. Biba was a, you know, a very well-known fashion designer, but also had a cosmetic line. And so Bloomingdale's partnered up with Biba and brought the cosmetic piece into the, the Bloomy store, mm -hmm. but marketed it in the junior department. So that was very revolutionary. Right. Hey, it's very common to have some things in the, you know, the other departments, but to not be on the main floor and not be in the mainstream cosmetics was very revolutionary. But it was also introducing darker colors because quite frankly, women, I said about sportswear, but women wore maybe a red lip, but pastels basically. Mm -hmm. And so this was, you know, the plums and the darker, darker colors. And so I was trained by the makeup artist team from London. And I, they asked me 
if I was interested, because they knew I had moved to Connecticut and I was struggling with that. And they asked if I was interested in spearheading the Biba counter in the junior department. So by this point, I'm about 23. And I said, for sure, you know. And so I was the co-manager of that department Mm -hmm. in the junior department. And I'll never forget, never forget, one day I was working. Oh, and by the way, we had a uniform and it was bell bottoms, a ruffled shirt. I had long hair, you know. Right. And one day I remember Don McLean's Bye Bye American Pie playing Mm -hmm. in the background. And I had this epiphany. I said, someday I'm going to create something like this. So forget the fashion, (laughs) left turn over to that. Now what that was, what this was, I didn't know, but I knew the word create, it just so resonated in my spirit as my dad. Now I don't remember my grandfather. Those are all anecdotal stories, but my father, by the way, I'll share this one little piece. He decided he was going to do treated NRAPs, balsam treated NRAPs. So in my mother's laundry room in our basement, he had all this tissue hanging like sheets, you know, your bed linen and balsam, and he treated it himself. So meaning I grew up with that innovation and that creativity. So I'm curious, how long did it take you to, from that time we like, I'm going to create this to you opening your first business? Too long. I think every entrepreneur says that. But, and this is a very important piece to what you just said about every entrepreneur. But the piece of this right here is that everything builds to the next. Right. Everything. Right. Because what then happened, and this is very, very pivotal. I mean, I was loving it. I was loving what I was doing. I did have a child at this point, And then I decided to have a second child. And so in 75, mm-hmm. I gave birth to my second child. Okay. So here I'm living in Richfield, Connecticut, 15 miles from downtown. And my husband and I had one car. He worked for IBM. And so he was in a carpool. So I did have a car, uh, you know, occasionally, but I didn't have that. I had two children now and didn't have that freedom of mobility. And I needed to get back working. And so to keep sane, I was playing tennis. And so (laughs) one day at the tennis court, this gal was having something and I'm curious person. And I went over to her and, I, and it was a Tupperware party. And I asked her, what did she make doing this? Cause I knew her, I played tennis with her right. and she said, Oh, I'll have my manager call you. So the manager did call me. That was a recruiting question. Right. And I asked her. And so the manager came to my home, sitting at my kitchen table, went through the whole structure of, you know, you become a seller, you know, buy a kit, yeah. you know, do parties. And then she said very, very casually that managers like she receive a Ford LTD station wagon like the one in my driveway. And I was like, okay, how do you do that? How do you get that? And she very patronizingly said, well, you'll find that out. And I said, no, no, no. And I remember saying this, Emmy, I really am not interested, no disrespect, but I'm not interested in selling plastic bowls, but I am interested in that car. Right. So she said, okay, well, you become a seller, you, you know, do parties on a regular basis, and you then recruit six people, and that becomes your unit. Right. And I said, that's it? And she said, yes. And I said, well, then I will do this. So I scraped together the $40 for the kit. And I, from that moment, though, from that moment, and listen to this, folks, from that moment, I started recruiting these six people. Wow. And in six months, I was a manager. And my, the unit was called the Megaphones. So we were not the largest in-bodies unit, but we were one of the top four units in sales. And this second epiphany, first was someday I'm going to create. Right. The second epiphany was that and only 26. Right. And the second epiphany was that I recruited people that were solid. It wasn't about numbers. It was about people that needed their, I would engage with them and help them figure out their why mm-hmm. and then help put a plan together and help them be successful in that why. It could be helping the sons 
college tuition, with the college tuition. It could be a myriad of things, but the bottom line is I built a team. Right, and quickly. Yes. And, six and months is, for that type of business is really fast. So I was with Tupperware for about almost three years. Mm -hmm. And so during that three-year period is when I built and built and built and really discovered that that was, is my purpose. It really is. It's about helping people, building teams and helping people work together, not right. against each other, right. and then actualize their own successes. And so from that place, and if I had not had that experience, I would not have had the success in these other businesses, would not have. Absolutely. So that was a truly valuable experience in my career, truly valuable. Do you feel like as you've built other teams for your businesses now and even back then, that most people need help getting clear about what their purpose or their why is so that they can identify kind of the thing that will drive them? Most definitely. That's why I share these two points, these pivotal points, because I was just in my mode of life, like we all are. And all of a sudden, you know, so I try to be aware, I'm talking about self-introspection and revelation, uh, always have, but I wasn't that cognizant of that at the time. So as this evolved, yes, it's very, very, uh, because I mentioned college. Now I was 26. I interfaced with people that were much older than I. Right. And, and there were people that were somewhat contemporary of mine, but generally speaking, a little older. And I would meet these people primarily at parties I did. And mm -hmm. I would always listen to, like I, you know, when I approached that woman saying, what did you make? What are you making? So I would just, but I would pay attention to the individual. So getting to know the individual and yes, Emmy, it is, that's why my master's program that I have instituted in the spa industry, and we'll get into that, really is an offshoot of this. Mm -hmm. It's listening and it's also helping these people actualize their dreams, goals, and desires. So it is, it, a leader needs to listen. That's the Ella of leading. You Absolutely. have to listen to a person. And then from there, as you know, help them build. But yes, very much so. For me as a coach, listening isn't just hearing about what's said. Sometimes it's about hearing what's not said. Do you feel that way too? Absolutely. It's that, you know, quiet, the word I, it comes to me is desperation, but mm -hmm. it's really not desperation. It's that just not clear. Right. And it's helping identify that clarity, clarity of what do you really want? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in two years? Where do you want to be in five years? What do you want? As you as a coach uh, and I as a coach often hear, I don't know. Right. But, but that doesn't thwart me and I'm sure it doesn't thwart you. You just help them continue to identify mm -hmm. and then they, then they have those aha moments. Right. So when you're team members reach like the, maybe the first or the second goal that they've set. How do you get them to see like bigger and beyond what they've initially set as their why or their purpose? Well, let me share. Now let's take a turn into the spa beauty industry. Let's yeah, turn absolutely. there. And when I started my first brand, in, well, let me share how I got to Texas. Let's not jump from Tupperware. So basically in 1982, I divorced in 1980 and I was selling advertising space in Manhattan, loved it. But again, because I'm a New York girl, but it was not the right thing to do with two gals that, you know, parents had just divorced. So mm -hmm. my, I joined my family's business. My dad, by this point, had developed. So we had the private label NRAPs in the beauty industry. Mm -hmm. But during the 70s, he developed dental and medical laboratory disposable paper related products bite wing tabs for Darby Dental and other things. But right. he wanted to come back to the beauty division and add some products. And he kept calling me saying, come on, join me. I want to add some products to the beauty division. So it was, I finally said, yes. Now, the only reason I was hesitant is we lived in Ridgefield, Connecticut. We had wonderful support team, not only for myself, my friends, but also my kids, my mm -hmm. daughters. And so it, that was a big move, but also it was way the heck out on e the eastern end of Long Island, where by this point his you know, business was. So that was also not attractive to me. But what was attractive was that I was able to, and this again was a very pivotal piece to the evolution, 
I was able, because he had no idea what he wanted to add. So my job, and he gave me some projects to do, which took me into Manhattan and different places to ask people in the salon arena, what did they need in reference to paper? Had right. to be paper. So this is the early eighties. And what I kept hearing was acrylic nails were happening. Ah, okay. And they, and so back in the day, there was no nail industry that we know it today. The Asian world had not happened yet, but what was happening was all nail, initial nail companies came from the dental world because of bonding teeth. So powder and acrylic. A lot of people don't know that. So Creative Nail was founded by Dr. Nordstrom. He was a dentist. Even, even OPI, George Schaefer was a dental distributor. He wasn't a dentist, but he was a dental distributor. So all of the original nail companies came from the dental world. And so if you visualize powder and acrylic, because most of us have had acrylic nails, you build that nail bed mm -hmm. and they're wiping that brush on a terry towel and that stuff hardens, right? Yeah. And it destroys the towel. Right. So what I kept hearing was these gals are doing these acrylic nails, going to these classes, coming back and they're destroying our towels. So I went to my father who was a genius in sourcing material. And I said, okay, let's do a towel. So what does it have to be? I said, non-woven, oh, I didn't know that, those words yet, but I said, it, it needs to be absorbent and lint-free because okay. they were complaining okay. about the lint, okay? So we put together the original nail towel for the industry called the table towel. So what I said just there is key because I was able to do R&D, mm -hmm. development, packaging, marketing, and taking it to market and then selling it. So I learned all of that by doing that towel and then subsequent products that I would be out in the market and say, okay, dad, let's try this. Let's try that. And we put together many different things, all basically the word spa didn't exist. This is 1982 to 1987. It didn't exist. Salons that started doing nails, giving you a little history here, uh, called themselves full service salons. Mm -hmm. You might remember that. Yeah. And so, but that term was used, a full service salon, not a day spa, didn't exist yet. If you think about spa, basically we come from the Northeast, but Midwest never experienced it. Not, but like Red Door, Elizabeth Arden on Fifth Avenue, Georgette Klinger, they were spas, but they were European oriented because okay. who were the estheticians? They were people that came over from Europe, i.e. Russians and the like. So they were trained in Europe, so had great skill set and came here and started working for those high-end spas. Could be a destination location as well. Right, right. So the spa thing that we know today technically evolved from the nail industry, technically, and the aesthetic licensing in the United States really did not happen until the mid-90s. Now, I was approached by Alcon Laboratories, which is in Fort Worth, Texas, mm -hmm. that is owned by the Nestle Corporation, which uh, manufactures products for the ophthalmologist and the dermatologist. So the Nestle Corporation is you know, international company. Right. And so they had acquired a small lab that had a hair care line that was NDC coded, that stands for Na uh, National Drug Code. So they were all, you know, not very glamorous products, let's just say that. Right. But they were for serious scalp problems like Nioxin or Rogaine and things like that. But they wanted to repackage and reposition the line. So they recruited me and it was a good time for me because my father was about to retire or spend more time in Florida. And my brother was working with my dad for maybe 10 years by that point. Mm -hmm. But uh, my father was really my team buddy, you know? Right. And so I felt it was a good time. He thought it was a good time too. And so I packed the wagon train and moved West. My <laughs> older daughter was finishing high school. She was a senior. Uh, so she finished on Long Island. And my 11-year-old, she had no choice. She had to move to Texas. So we both I moved to Fort Worth, Texas in 1987. That's why I say in a couple of years, will be as long as I yeah. lived there. So I was the national sales and marketing director for this division mm -hmm. under the umbrella of Alcon. But remember years ago, I said, listening to Don McLean there, someday I'm going to create this. That was now bubbling up. Now it's bubbling. 
with all of that creativity that I did with my uh, race and my dad's company. And when I was recruited, one of the very attractive things for me, and it was least of which was weather, but what was very attractive to me was I was able to hang out with very sophisticated chemists because I'm not a chemist. I have a sales marketing background, but I'm not a chemist. So I was able to glean so much information from these chemists and especially one of the lead chemists. And he was very generous of information. But remember, this is now in the late 80s. The internet had not happened. You could not say, hey, Suri, tell me about da-da-da. I think about that. Like all the things, like just texting and how like in communication we are with people. Exist, right. Yeah. But I was privy to very sophisticated information because I was inside that company. And I read, and this probably was around the 1990, that Avon Mm -hmm. was going to launch a single product in the fall or the spring, I guess, of 1992. This might've been the end of 90 going into 91. So this is a ways away. Right. So my marketing brain said, hmm, this glycolic acid must be something because Avon back in the day never marketed anything. It was the Avon lady in their little catalog. Right. Other than skin so soft, a bug repellent. Right. So I went to this chemist one evening and I said, tell me about glycolic acid. And he went like this and he said, well, and he starts this big, uh, long dissertation on alpha chains, beta chains. I said, whoa, whoa, Raymond, yeah. Raymond, you're talking <laughs> to me. Okay. He went, okay. All right. I guess, what, why would they do, why would Avon do this? He goes, well, I don't know. I'm not a lady. He said, but what he did say then, he said, but it's been used for years for eczema and psoriasis. Because remember, he's a chemist inside a pharmaceutical company. And he said, so it probably is exfoliation. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, all right. So I knew what I was looking for. I'm smack dab in the middle of the baby boomer generation. So by this point, I'm just turning 40. Right. And so I was using night repair from Estee Lauder. It was the only really result-oriented product out there. Because remember, products were basically European, very heavy, very emollient-like. So I started calling labs around the United States, and I had gotten that, a lot of that information through the nail world and that type of thing, mm-hmm. because I got to know a lot of those people, the pioneers in that. And I called labs, and they either said, I have no idea what you're talking about, or we're thinking about doing R&D. Finally, now it's 91, and I found a lab that was starting to do R&D with glycolic acid. Were you nervous about just calling labs, even if you had connections? Like, that would be a real stopper for a lot of people. Someone brought this up just yesterday in a mastermind that I'm in. And the woman who brought this up is a very, very talented woman, very successful. But she's the right hand. I don't mean but but she's the right hand to a very well-known influencer. Mm -hmm. And she is struggling with that piece, what you just said there. She's comfortable being behind the scenes, right? but not stepping out. Right. And I would answer that question this way. My mother, many years later, said to my dad, because they never invested any money in my first brand. He said, Meg, this is too dangerous. You need to come back to New York and, you know, get a good job. Right. Get, get a good job. But my mom said years later, right, she's more like you than any of our children. I know as I know as I know that it's how I'm made up. I also recognized, Emmy, as I'm sharing this story with your guests and your listeners, that not everyone is made this way. I understand that. But what I truly want to share is that we all have a story. Mm-hmm. And you have to start somewhere and you have to take that first step. Right. So I would also answer not just a raised daughter, but I would also say that because of my experience of working for my father and doing that R&D and package design and so forth, that I, I, I mean, it was, you know, I had to do all that by myself. So I learned to depend on me and to take 
step by step by step. Right. And it's that power of association and getting to know people. Because for instance, I mentioned George Schaefer, who people probably do not know, but he's the founder of OPI and everybody knows OPI nail polish. Right. But he was a, a Russian immigrant. And I went to him one day and I said, George, you need this towel. And he said with that accent, I do. And <laughs> I, you know, put a deal together for George. And to this moment, they erase and still private labels that for OPI. Wow. So the point of the point is I'm not afraid to, if something makes sense, mm -hmm. if something makes sense, I'm not afraid to step out and just ask because you have to ask. Right. All people can say is, and they did say to me, I have no idea what you're talking about. Keep me on your list. I might be, yeah. I'll, I'll look into it or whatever right. they said. But then, you know, I kept looking, calling, asking. And because I knew if Avon was doing that, Emmy, it was only Something. time. For somebody who isn't as bold as or as comfortable being bold, and they see that they can benefit from starting to ask more, because I tell my clients too, like you're already at no, so you might as well just put it out there. Is there any advice or wisdom that you have for somebody to get started? The first step is honestly preparation, but preparation, you know, that's a daunting word too, mm -hmm. is to find what you love. Because right. as they say, if you're doing something you love, then it, you'll never work another day in your life. So it has to be something you love. Now, that doesn't mean a product necessarily, but it has to be something that resonates with you. Over the years, I've done hundreds and hundreds of classes through these wholesale distributors that used to buy the products. And I would keynote at uh, the spa shows and then interface with people. And one of the things I would say, honestly, I'm talking about in our line of work, but this is applicable to sales. If you do not like people, you're in the wrong business. So right. you have to analyze what is your strong suit, what you love, because it is everything begins with an idea, mm -hmm. but it is definitiveness of purpose. And it's that you take that idea and you have to, if you're going to be successful, as Napoleon Hill says, because I'm kind of quoting him right here, is you have to burn the boats because yeah. you cannot start something and then say, no, oh, I really, this is like, oh no, I don't like, yeah. therefore, if you don't love this, you're not going to continue on. Therefore, you're going to waffle and you're going to start this and oh, maybe not. And then go over there and start that. You have to identify what you love. And again, I, it, it, you know, I'm not a financial planner, for instance. Right. But a financial planner has to ha use all of these skill sets. Mm -hmm. You have to build a base of business. Then you use your tools that you have. A therapist. I mean, you're, you're inter interfacing with people. You have to do what makes your heart sing. So agree with that. And it's what I've taught my kids. And they're now pursuing both of their dreams. Yes. And because it does fuel you. And it does... I think keep an interest in a passion and innovativeness, creativity, everything we've talked about where you're looking at things differently as opposed to just the, here I am going to the salt mines again. Exactly. Yeah. And does not mean that people, for instance, you, we talked a bit about teams mm -hmm. and I'm going to make it left turn here in the spa world because when I launched Glycolic, my first brand based on glycolic acid, so truly a pioneer in the alpha hydroxy glycolic acid, but most importantly, result-oriented skincare, okay? People saw a difference. That's why Avon launched that product April of 92, and for the first four months was the most single product launch of their 130 years now, maybe, maybe more. Um, and I'm saying it's still the most successful single product launch. Why? Because people saw a difference. Right. Okay? Right. So when I was introducing, so I wasn't just introducing products, Emmy, I was introducing a whole new category in the beauty industry. Yeah. Because when I left Alcon, someday I'm going to create. I didn't say someday I'm going to create my own. Uh, it was having my own business. It was about creativity. So right. when I was working on products, projects and products for Alcon, for my boss mm -hmm. um, and team, I did a storyboard on a skincare line based on hyaluronic acid, because hyaluronic acid was initially developed for eye surgery to keep the eye moist. 
Oh, okay. Exactly. It's a, it holds a thousand times its weight of mortar. I mean, we were so ahead of our time, it was silly. But I did a whole storyboard on this skincare component of this hair care line. And my boss actually said, and this is probably a 90, skincare doesn't sell. <laughs> but he's kicking himself now. <laughs> well, years later, he called me and said, do you want to do something with me? No, John, that's okay. But, uh, but he actually said, but in all fairness to him, again, back to what I said, spas didn't exist. Skincare hadn't happened. The reason it had not happened is the baby boomer had not gotten old enough yet mm -hmm. to drive it. And ingredients, result-oriented ingredients had not happened yet. Yeah. And that's why glycolic acid was so pivotal because it's a, it's a chemical exfoliant and you see a difference very quickly. Right, right. In tone, texture, color, hydration, and so forth of your skin. Oh, yeah, great stuff. So, but I ha then had to market it that it was only one skew, one product, because the distributor salespeople, they didn't know how to sell this stuff. Right. But I had worked long enough with them to understand their mentality and, and also then to sell into a salon who wasn't doing skincare. So it had to be personal for them. You see, right. I really really, really helped the spa structure happen in the industry. So with that, I interfaced with many salons mm -hmm. and I was working with the owner and the and or the manager and helping train their staff and identifying who might do skincare in the salon and all that. And what I saw in that, again, back to team and building that team working together, because at that time, the lease space thing hadn't happened yet, you know, where they lease their own area in the salon that had not happened. So right. these people were employees. So I started building teams and, and analyzing who was there and what their strong suits were and, and helping them raise up. Right. So then that helped me when I opened my own spa in 2005. Okay. Now, along the line, I got my own aesthetic license in the state of Texas in mm -hmm. 1991 when I was putting Glycolique together. But in, that, in those days, it was 250 hours, and I went to a school in Dallas that had no instructor. Okay. <laughs> and there's a point of sharing that, would I'll, I'll bring it later. But when I opened my spa, again... It, it was in Georgetown, Texas, which is about mm -hmm. 20 miles north of Austin. So it's a bedroom community of Austin. Always had in the business plan to do medical. Okay. The market wasn't strong enough. Mm -hmm. And then the economy started getting wobbly. And then personal things, my husband became ill and there were things. But I always knew I was going to add it. But the products were the centrifugal force. And so I call it mm -hmm. Novita, new birth, new life, always something new. So my job right. is to see what is out there, what's current, what stays in or is a scope of license mm -hmm. and, and then train the staff. Okay. Now, what I also saw is, and this now takes it back to what you asked earlier, these women didn't really know what they wanted. They really had, I'm talking about the employees. Right. And they just wanted to make money. So I ended up putting what I call the master's program together. Mm-hmm. And the master's program is where I hire from the schools. So they're new, newly licensed, fresh, and that they're the valedictorians. So they were, they showed up, they were there, right. they participated. When I interviewed them, Emmy, I said, um, if you're interested in working with us, I have what's called the master's program and you have to commit to at least six months where you're not working in the room You'll be paid hourly, but you'll start off as a spa coordinator. You'll learn the business. You'll learn all of the business. You'll learn, right. you know, how to speak to clients, how to build relationships, all of what is so important to, for your success. And then during this six month period, you will be then trained in the protocols and the treatment services. So, you know, as time went on, they would put their thing, you know, I'd get them in the room and so forth. Right, right. But I never had one person, not one, who went through, the, who signed on the dotted line, technically, yes, mm -hmm. uh, committed to that. Not one person said, boy, this is a waste of time. Oh, I can't even imagine. Like, it sounds amazing. 
they they all said within a month said wow i didn't have any idea how little i knew yeah so it helps them identify their why so in the business the spa mm-hmm. i call a hybrid because it's it's luxury day spa clinical medical and wellness okay there are some folks that don't want to do medical they don't yeah. they've identified that the ones that do they have to work in the room for a touch, as I say, 200 faces to get to know the skin and then get the, in every state's licensing is different. Mm-hmm. So in Texas, they get their LSO, it's called laser safety officer training, 40 hours. I would never hire someone out of school to do laser work, never, because they have to know the skin and you only know that by doing. Right. So in this master's program, There are people that have gone on and have done their own businesses. Mm -hmm. They've moved and they've started their own businesses. I hear from them all the time. We're colleagues, but there are people that don't want to start their own business, that love working in the team and working in the structure. Right. But as I said, novita, which means in Italian, new birth, new life, that is what it means. And I say always something new. That's my promise. So they knew and know that I would bring things that would keep it fresh and alive for them as well as our clients. And so it is absolutely imperative. And back to your friend, as you shared earlier, that has a medical wellness spa. She's biohacking. She's paying attention to what's going on there Mm -hmm. out in the world. And, and so it's, it's so key and critical in any industry to stay current, to, you know, continue education and having a coach and yeah. having a mentor, having a mastermind. It's, it's all important. You cannot do it alone. You cannot. Absolutely not. And I've said this in other episodes and I say this all the time, but having somebody outside of you to help you grow is going to help you identify your blind spots faster. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very much so. Very I helpful. feel like we could chat for like hours. I mean, your background and your story is fascinating and we're, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. I know you have a really cool gift for all of our listeners. So can you share that with, with everybody? Absolutely. I mentioned my husband and I mentioned uh, mm-hmm. illness and he did pass away September of 2011. Mm-hmm. And the evening uh, going into the morning, the dawning, there were, the backyard was full of white butterflies, full. I thought, gosh, am I hallucinating? I mean, what is going on here? And I just put my head, I mean, it was just an experience that I'll never forget. And I put my head down on the kitchen table and I said, Father, what are you trying to say to me? (laughs) What is this? And I heard in my spirit, share your story. Mm -hmm. What did that mean? Tonight, my life story? (laughs) What does that mean? So over the years, um, about seven, I journaled as I always did. And I, but that was in the back of my head. And I started writing a course for the industry. Mm -hmm. It will be on my websites by the end of the year. It's called the million dollar spa master's program, but I started working on it at the end of last year. And I just knew in my spirit, I needed to go back. I had written an outline for the story, so to speak in 17. And I knew I had to complete that. So I buckled down and finished it and launched it in December. And it went to number one on Amazon on January 4th, which is my mom's birthday. Oh, congratulations. So amazing. And so essentially it's my story. Right. Uh, It's very anecdotal. And it's the title is Hope and Possibilities Just Over the Horizon. It's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. So during the lockdown, it's on Kindle, it is, but I said, I'm going to put this on my website for free so people can have it and have some hope because I've been through a lot. I've shared the fun stuff, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of pandemics and tsunamis in the story. Right. Uh, I've referenced a teeny bit, you know, divorce and then illness and things, but you know, there's others in there. And so I invite you all to go to megandimartino.com and download it. It's a PDF mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And it yeah. just, uh, let me know what you think. Absolutely. And we're going to have the link to your website so that they can download it for free in the show notes. So sure. 
it'll be easily um, accessible for everybody. And yeah, I would urge, I mean, your story, just what you've shared in this limited time is so incredible and in depth to know, you know, the highs and the valleys would be, I think, really helpful for everybody because it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It is not. No. Everybody has downturns. And I think that's the thing we forget when we see everybody celebrating whatever success too, because we don't talk about the downturns. Yes. Yes. So I read a quote the other day. It's not uh, life. If you're doing what you love, it's a voyage, not a journey. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and so I, I even through the negatives have stayed focused on again, my why and identifying it, you know, build helping others and creating. Those are the two things together that I was very blessed to identify very early on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to have you come back on the podcast too and do a part two, because I think there's so much more for us to delve into with your story that'd be so helpful with and for our listeners. So yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. And everybody, please download Megan's book. I'm sure that it's going to be incredible. I'm going to download it myself. And, and check it out because you have so much to share and we can all learn from that. So thank you. And let everybody know too, where can they connect with you? A convenient for you would be to go on to that website, megandimartino.com and leave your name and a comment or question. My email is megan at megandimartino.com. So those two areas, and I do get back to everyone. So, and then Facebook, the official Megan Martino, but you're going to have the social media, but I have a business page, megandimartino.com or come on to my personal, which is Megan Martino, or business at Novitaspa. So <laughs> you're everywhere. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been fascinating and I really appreciate Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 